In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. We honor you guys for grinding it out in the stress bubble of life. Males are treating the anonymous fray, but you have jumped into the arena of manhood. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. Guys, we're pumped that you're listening today. Our goal is to call you in to the arena, to call you out of every obstacle hindering you from becoming your best version, and to call you up to highest levels of manhood, to your full potential in Christ. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with the mix master today, the backbone, my buddy. And producer, Dale Culver. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Jimmy. How are you? How are you it's good doing? to have we, you we, back. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be back. You've got a little a skin vacation. peeling off your head. I know. I'm molting. Mm. I'm molting. Does that mean you're getting bigger? I'm I'm molting <laughs> off the growing. layers. I'm, I'm like 14 pounds lighter, baby. I'm you're getting your summer I'm gonna, coat. I'm going to disappear if I lose any more weight. <laughs> my, I, I cut my hand on my six-pack this morning. Oh, that happens. Happened. You know, my finger. I doubt it was your six-pack. It was probably up a little higher. <laughs> It was probably the button on my jacket I couldn't get all the way up because of my belly. Anyway, so uh, how are you doing? You doing good today? I'm great. <laughs> Knock it off. Or I'm gonna, I want a divorce. Um, hey, you got a man word for us today, buddy? I do. Uh, I'm going to guess it. Oh, go for it. This so we have uh, Vince Pronounce it. Diacchioli, right, Vince? It's Dacchioli. Dacchioli. Just so you know, I cut my hand on a six-pack earlier, too. Anyway, I'm going to guess, because of our our guest today, I'm going to guess the word is target. Am I right? Man word. Target? I, I could change it and just go with that if you'd like. No, what is the word? I, well, see, I was just going with not knowing all that ahead of time. I'm going, you know what? Discernment. Discernment. I'm talking a lot of in, in circles about that uh, word, and so I was like, you know what? That's a good one. Discernment. A man has discernment in, in which way... Uh, to go, and if it's time to tackle something or let something go, um, speak up or shut up. 
yeah, using discernment yeah, and yeah. wisdom. Well, I, uh, John Maxwell once had a quote, a leader knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. And I think if we're going to navigate and lead, we need to discern the right way, the wrong way, the, the future way. We need to be able to have that discernment, uh, even in relationships, right? Who to invest in, who not to. You know, We need to have that discernment. Or arguing so really with good. your wife, use some discernment and just... Uh, yeah, maybe you just shut your mouth. I remember one time James Dobson, I was listening to the radio, and <laughs> Shanna had, and I had just gotten a fight. And he said, never argue over something you're going to forget about in 30 days. And I thought, geez, that's like every fight we've ever yeah. had. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing to say. Why yeah. aren't you saying anything? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, hey, man, I'm really excited about the Men in the Arena Facebook Forum for Men. Uh, we uh, just grew by 500 guys in the last half hour. We're now at 7,200 guys in the arena. We just had a radio station from Australia say they want to start playing this podcast. So special shout out to Connor Hi, McGregor's cousin, <laughs> What's Steve, Steve McGregor. McGregor. Special shout out to him. <laughs> and then, uh, guy, I'm really excited about uh, these international virtual teams we're launching. So we need to have 20 guys step up to quarterback this new venture of us. And we're going to do that through Facebook video uh, through the men in the arena so guys if you want to quarterback this thing with us you've a man of integrity and your references check out because he'll probably be playing this and he'll hear that and go these guys are dumb it's actually Stuart mcgregor what did you say i said steven see that's why i just say connor mcgregor because everybody knows that name yeah i'm just kidding so. oh man hey i'm excited today have another fellow italian uh on the podcast Vince Dacchioli, he is 73 years old. He's you, I say that say because that well old. I say that it's encouraging to me because <laughs> he launched 25 years ago, he launched he's the founder and CEO of a ministry called On Target Ministries and that's encouraging cuz he launched his ministry when I launched The Great Hunt for God. So he's about 20 years ahead of me here and uh, I am really excited to see what he's been doing. Uh Vince uh has this ministry. It's a Christian outreach to men, pastors, and couples. In the past two decades, Vince's seminars, workshops, and church services have literally, Dale, touched the lives of tens of thousands of people across the United States and the world. He authored the book Wired to Work, which we'll talk about a little bit in the podcast. And uh, his passion in life is helping men, couples, and pastors discover who they are in God's grand kingdom drama in this big plan for them. He lives in Temecula, California with his wife of 53 years this July, Cindy. He has daughters that are 49 and 47. So my wife, Shanna's 48 and I'm 52. So, uh, so I'm kind of uh, resonating with this guy, six grandchildren from ages five to 18. And I am really excited to bring on this guy. He has been in the game running hard and uh, it's exciting to have this guy on the show. So, Vince, uh, welcome to our show, my friend. Oh, it's good to be here, Jim. By the way, until today, I didn't realize that you were Italian. Uh, you, are you full-blooded Italian? No, I'm a, the Ramos is Portuguese, so I'm a quarter. My full-blooded Italian grandmother married my full-blooded Portuguese grandfather, and the Portuguese wouldn't let the Italians into the family, so they had to elope to Reno. And they were married for 64 years, a great love story. So I'm wow. the Italian side of me is Perotti and Mainini. Wow. Well, you know what? You only have to have a little tiny bit of Italian blood in you to be saved. Well, and yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, that, that's really that, – that, that, I'm really excited to hear that. But can I, can I greet your listeners in my native language? Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, go I'm for scared. it. You ready? Yeah, go for it. 
How you doing? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, that's, is, the only, that's the only Italian I know. It's I, Joey's I grandpa. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> Forget about it. That, yeah, about yeah, it. yeah. Oh, bears. Anyway, hey, hey, Vince, we're gonna we're gonna throw you to the sharks right now. We're gonna throw you into our rapid fire round. So, are you ready for this? I don't know what it is, but I'll do it. Well, here's what it is for you today. I select different things for the guys to loosen them up and just to get to know them a little better. For you, we've chosen the fill in the blank round. So, I'm gonna ask you a couple sentences with a blank spot in the sentence. I want you to fill it in and explain it. Okay. I'll try. All right. Well, this one here is a this one here. Now, being Italian, you might not have an answer for this, but but here we go. I will eat anything put in front of me except. I will eat anything in front of in front of me except spinach. Really? Okay. Yeah, I'm not crazy about spinach. All right. I well, just... you know, you know, that's because my mother kept feeding me that stuff. You know, spinach. <laughs> I could have said bologna too because my mother every day she i would have bologna sandwiches when i go to school yeah and i had this guy at school that had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and so <laughs> we would trade with the guy at school but you know isn't that funny how you when you're growing up some of the things that you uh, experience they just later on in life you say man am i glad i don't have to go back there again oh buddy i had a bad experience one thanksgiving with swiss chard it went down really bad, and it came up just as bad, and that's the last time I ate it. So here's the next one, Vince. The one thing that angers me the most is? Wow. The one thing that angers me the most, honestly, on a serious note, is hypocrisy. Ooh, talk to me. Well, um, it's uh, this is a much longer conversation, but you guys know I do a lot of stuff on leadership, and in the area of leadership, uh, I remember years ago, Stephen Covey had a, a model that he used of a pyramid, uh, uh, not a pyramid, I'm sorry, an iceberg, it, where you have an iceberg, and of course, the bulk of the iceberg is underneath the, the water, and it's unseen, but the tip of the iceberg is, is the only thing that's visible. I equate that to what people see in us. The bulk of who we are is underneath the surface and unknown. In a corporate culture, uh, an aligned corporation, a successful corporation, is a one-to-one relationship between its vision and mission, which informs its core values or beliefs, which in turn points toward the way it behaves and the way it's seen by the public. So mm-hmm. if, 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 a, or if a corporation is out of whack, out of alignment, if Nordstrom's decides it wants to sell tires, it's obviously not in alignment. So that's where corporations go bad. Well, what we're looking for and what you guys are looking for with this podcast is to develop godly character. Godly character, using that same illustration, is a one-to-one relationship between my Bible, my beliefs, and my behavior. My Bible is the foundation, the bottom of the iceberg, the, the, the vision or the mission for my life, which informs my core values or the things that I believe to be true. And out of that belief and truth, I live consistently. But what tends to happen in our culture is we tend to chip off the top of the iceberg and float it off on whatever I need to get by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, I call that moral schizophrenia. Moral schizophrenia is truth learned on Sunday that I cannot apply on Monday. Yeah, that's really good. We just did a podcast called Equipping Men in 10. It will be up this week, and it's about filling in the gaps, that there should be no gaps between the man you claim to be 
in your public life and the man that you really are in your private life, which is exactly what you're saying. So that's really good, man. That, that, that's what really destroys me is when we're not living up to our full potential of all that God has made us to be. That's good, man. So here's the next one. I believe so strongly about blank, I would gladly die on that hill if need be. Well, of course, uh, for me, that, that blank would, would be Jesus, you know, and that no matter what it takes. But, uh, you know, I'll tell you guys, we're seeing right now a lot of stuff going on around the world. And I don't know about you guys, but it destroys me to hear about all these people that are being burned and martyred for Jesus. Have you ever found yourself asking the question, wow, do I think I have what it takes do I have that kind of faith to where if somebody started piling the wood around my feet and I were tied to a stake and they were going to light it on fire unless I renounced Jesus, what would I do? Yeah. I, you know, I don't know about you, but I've asked myself, I'd, I would like to think that I have the kind of faith in Jesus to where I could do that as well. But I'll tell you, it is a, it is a, a scary thought. And uh, it's one that really saddens me when I consider all our brothers and sisters around the world that are going through stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that is a true statement. That's great. But there's not, but that, you know, listen, there's nothing, there's nothing that, that else that I can, that, that I would more sooner die for than my Lord. I mean, that, that's my life. Yeah, that's got to be the hill to die on for sure for us, is for sure. So here's the next question. If my house were on fire and my family safe outside, the one thing I'd run back into the fire to save is? My iPad. Your iPad? No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. I'm like, what? Come on. <laughs> my, 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 no, my, my Smith & Wesson shield. Okay, as long as you don't say yeah. your kitty cat. Yeah. <laughs> you can use the shield to put the kitty cat down to save it from pain of the fire. <laughs> no, I, if all of my, my family and if I... If I uh, have pets, if all of the things that are have life in them that I really uh, hold up with high value are are safe, then there's not a lot that I would be that concerned about. You yeah, know, that is if good, I that's good. I, I appreciate that answer. That's that's what really matters most, right? Is the, the right, relationships exactly. with the people that we love. Nothing, so nothing else really. Nothing else really makes that much difference. Yep, that is true. I had a guy say, well, I don't need my photo albums. That was the standard answer in the 90s, but everything's on our phones now. Everything's digital. So last one in our rapid-fire round, Vince, is this. If I had to give up a prized possession, it would be blank. Oh, a prized possession. Yes. Hmm. Well, again, it kind of gets back to the last question. Um, it, what 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 do you prize? And yeah. if you don't prize very much of anything, uh, it really doesn't make that much difference. Hmm. I mean, there's probably nothing I wouldn't give up. It it would depend on what the cause is, yeah. you know, and what it's all about. But no, I I can't. You know, a, a better way to frame that question would probably be, uh, wh- which is your most uh, precious possession? that you would really think twice about giving. I mean, what's the, what's the last thing you would want to give up? Yeah. Yeah. Your possessions would be a better way maybe of phrasing that question. And even that question, I I have a hard time considering what that might be. Um, I, I, the the one thing I don't want to lose is my, my memories and all the things that we hold dear, you know, I mean, look at uh, someone, someone, uh, when I teach guys, I tell them, I asked him the question, what do you think is the most precious possession 
If I were to ask you, what's the most precious possession that you own? What would you say? Now, that wouldn't be a bad question for you around, by the That's way. That's a great one. What What would you say is the most precious thing that you own that has the most value? And you, you might be very surprised at the kinds of things that people say. The first thing they do is they process, well, what's the trick behind the question? They're, are they looking for relational issues or possessions, mm -hmm. physical possessions? And some people that think you're looking for relations would say, well, my wife or my kids no, but you say, no, no, no. In terms of what you possess outside of that, what would it be? Some people would say their car or their home or whatever. But the most precious thing that you own, every one of us, is our story. Oh, yes. It is the most precious. We have had, that, that tens of thousands is probably hundreds of thousands now in terms of our ministry impact. We've probably had 15, 20,000 people come to Jesus. Wow. Just from my story. And it's not because it's my story, although my story is kind of colorful, but we all have those stories. Yeah. And isn't it interesting how God uses our life and our story to advance his kingdom? So I say the most precious thing you own in your life is your story. My problem with most men is they're not very good stewards of telling their story. So we, we help them with an elevator version, with a five, 10 minute version, a 20, 30 minute teaching version. You know, that you, you really need to, to understand how important your story is. And most men especially don't get that. So I do a lot of work trying to help men understand how important their story is. Do you think, <clears throat> I just had this thought pop in my head. Do you think it's because most men are not good stewards of their story? Yeah, that's what I said a minute ago. Oh, you, said, tell, you said telling the story. Yeah, most men are not very good stewards of their story and how to they, – they, first of all, they, they're in two ways. They're not good stewards of how to frame it and communicate it. But, but before that, they don't have a high enough sense of value in their story. They think somehow their story – because maybe their story doesn't uh, isn't as exciting as yours or mine. Yeah. They tend to minimize it, and they don't understand that every story – has a way of ministering powerfully. Uh, we don't know what it's doing in the people that are listening, but it's always doing something because people resonate with stories. Yep, they absolutely. really do. That's really good, man. Hey, we're going to move into the interview questions, but before we do that, Vince, I just want you to take a little bit of time here uh, and tell us your story. So tell us a little bit about your story in five minutes, and uh, let's, uh, let's get going from there. Well, can I mention our website? Well, that's, we were going to we do that, that anyway? at the very end. But. Okay, well, that's okay. But if the, it, when people want to stay tuned for that, because on our website in the video area, there's actually a half an hour TV program that was done on my story. Because so, it's a very colorful story. I won't have time to unpack all those details, but I'll give you the quick version. What's, the, what's uh, that? Give, go ahead and give us that address now. It's on Target Ministries. It's otm.co. That's it. Not okay. .com. Just.co. If you go under the video area, there's a couple of areas. One is my testimony done in a very large mega church called um, Overwhelmed by the Grace of God. And the other one is a TV show that's on there as well that we did. But the, the reason I tell it Overwhelmed by the Grace of God, Jim, is because honestly, were it not for God's grace, I would be dead. Yeah. Uh, I, I was born in Rhode Island, moved to California when I was eight years old. Mom and dad were kind of running from the law. Didn't know that until I was about 14 or 15. Wow. Got in, I, I was a really bad dude, got involved in a lot of bad, shady characters. 
uh, grew up in a Catholic church, but never really went to church. Uh, got married in a Catholic church just to save face in my family, but really didn't come to know the Lord till later, later in our lives, Cindy and I both. But I ha- actually had an Uncle Louie. Uncle Louie. <laughs> uh, in fact, if you Google Louie Gelfuso, uh, you will find him. He died probably 20, 30 years ago, but he, he, uh, the, the FBI nicknamed him Louie the Couch. Uh, because they would wiretap his apartment and uh, they would be listening in to him. He didn't know it, of course, but every every day he you know he'd work at night, but every day he'd be laying on the couch watching soap operas, and he'd be he'd be in the FBI be listening, and he'd be he'd be crying, he'd be saying, "Why did you marry that bum, you idiot?" And the FBI would crack up, man. They just thought it was hysterical. Louis the couch. Well, Louis was in court one day when I was about twenty years old. Uh, on 26 counts of hits, 26 murders. And the prosecutor came in and uh, asked the judge to dismiss the jury because they needed to make an announcement the jury wasn't allowed to hear. And so we we didn't have to leave. We were there for the whole thing. And the prosecutor says, Your Honor, the star witness against Lou, along with his wife, were shotgunned to death in their hotel room in Las Vegas last night. We have no case. I'm the guy in the back, Jim, going... I'm the guy going, yes, that's the life. That's where I came from. Yeah. Now, fortunately, fortunately, I didn't get so involved that I got in too deep that I couldn't get out. But those were the kinds of people I picked as my role models. And even in the business world, lying, cheating, stealing, womanizing, drugs, alcohol. It wasn't until I crashed and burned after about 10 years of marriage and was about to lose everything that the Lord finally got a hold of me. And that happened, by the way, in Van Nuys, California. Fortunately, uh, I then was under the ministry of a man by the name of Pastor Jack Hayford, which many of your listeners would know who he Uh, is. uh To this day, he is Cindy and and my dearest friend and mentor. Wow, that's really amazing. So I also, I looked, I pulled up Louis the couch, and he also went by Louis Ness. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I don't know N E S S. I don't know what that means, but that was maybe his either. alias. His alias, and I there's a really funny quote about him that I can't repeat because it's so off color. But okay. uh, you'll you'll have to go Google Louis Ness. The first it's it. called Ma. It was he was on Wiki Mafia. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So I just pulled him up. So hey, uh, you wrote you wrote a book a couple years ago, and uh, I I did not realize that. So I want to go grab this book and read it. But it's called Wired to Work. Answering the two most important questions in life. And that really intrigued me because I do a lot of speaking to men about the two most important questions in life. So I thought it'd be fun to ask you uh, what those questions are and why you came up with those questions. I don't know what they are. What are your questions? All right. Well, let, let me give you a little backstory. When I was in the business world, I spent 25 years in the business world. I, I had the privilege of sitting underneath uh, guys like uh, Stephen Covey and Peter Drucker lie when they were teaching at UCLA. In fact, later in my business life as a vice president for a major Fortune 1000 company in California, I was actually on the speaking circuit talking about organizational culture and development issues and personnel issues and things like that, leadership issues. Yeah. And I've always been fascinated with this question. Why is it that some people are happy, secure, and successful, hitting on all cylinders, making a difference in their world, while there are other people seemingly with the same uh, potential and background who struggle in life? 
In other words, here was my premise. Are there some things that we can learn about these happy, secure, successful people that are transferable? That's a basic business concept. What can we learn from this uh, operation that is transferable that we can uh, bless somebody else with? So I, uh, in, in my background as a behavioral scientist, I began to study a lot of that stuff. Well, it was around that time that I really found the Lord. And I began to apply that idea now in the context of being a believer. When it came to believers, what made the difference? And what I found are that the kind of person that we're trying to to produce, in this case it was the man back in the early days of our ministry, had three things in common. Number one, uh, they knew they knew God, and this is really the most important thing in the secret to life, in my view. They knew God intimately. Number two, because they knew God intimately, and by the way, these, these are these are it's a prerequisite for number two. Number two, they had successfully answered the two most important questions in life, and those two questions are simply these: how and why. So here's how that works, Lord. Understanding that you are real, how did you make me, or here's the play on words, wired to work? We're wired to be workers, but we're also wired to work in a particular way. How did you make me uniquely? Another way, another way of saying it would be if you, Jim, were to talk to God and say, Lord, when you look at me, Jim, what do you see? Mm -hmm. Boy, Jim, I don't know anybody that would want the answer to that question. Seriously, I mean, that, yeah. that's, a, that's a huge question. What do you look at when you look at me? And, and it, you know what? If God ever did answer that question, it would blow us away. Yeah, yeah. It, would, it really would. And then, okay, now, Lord, now that I know, and this is one of the things we do in our ministry. We, have, we actually have gift tests that people can take on our website that even Focus on the Family went to and had our gift test scientifically validated. They loved it so much. Really? It all began— it all began with Don and Julie Warner about 40, 50 years ago that were from Portland or your area that, that developed the natural gifts out of Romans. It's an incredible test. I just shrunk it down to about a 15-minute test, and it's profound. I've been doing this. I did this in the business world, and there are the seven natural gifts in Romans. Okay, now that I know how you wired me uniquely, why? That, that, now, this, gets into, this was getting into Purpose Driven, by the way, long before Rick came out with his book. Okay. In fact, people at, at uh, New Man Magazine told me that they, they looked at our Wired to Work book and thought, boy, this stuff is as good as anything we've ever seen. The problem we had is that we didn't have the financial backing to really get it out into the marketplace in the way we wanted to. It sold several, you know, about probably a ten, about 10, 15,000 copies, but it was never really a big, huge success that we, we thought it might be. But anyway, why did you make me? In other words, what is your purpose? What is your plan? What is your vision for my life? So they know God intimately, they know how and why God made them, and then number three, it may sound like an obvious one, but it's not. They're living the vision out. In other words, they're doing that for which God created them and equipped them. Mm -hmm. Now, again, it sounds like a logical progression, but it's but it, 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 it not necessarily true. I, I was in a, part, a point in my life where uh, I did not know God. I had a vision, all right, but the vision was more shaped by the world around me and my circumstances than it was by God. And I was even living the vision out, but there was a hole in my heart that I didn't know why, and it had to do with I was living my vision out, not necessarily what God 
wanted me to do. So then there was a time in my life where I knew God intimately. I knew exactly how and why he made me, but I wasn't doing it. Yeah. Okay. And I, the reason I wasn't doing it was for fear and all the other things that come in. So all three of those have to be in place before you can be truly fulfilled. This is what I've come to discover. And that's what that book is all about. But the key to everything, Jim, it all starts with a price that most men don't want to pay. And that is intimacy with God. That is getting so close to God, so intimate with him, spending so much time with him that you can't, that you're not going to miss it. Most of us have a really hard time developing that. And that's where I find myself really focusing these days with guys. That's really good, man. Well, you know, it's funny because when I speak to guys, I say the two most important questions are, and they're actually the same as yours, but I worded them differently. Who am I? In other words, how did yeah. you make me? Why? How yeah. am I unique? And the second Who one is, second one is, why am I here? That those are the same. Th I use yeah. those interchangeably. Same questions, cool. and it's really interesting because you said, uh, you said that unless we have intimacy with God, we cannot f fully fulfill that. And our vision here at the Man Card Podcast is to build an army of men who are becoming the best version of themselves. But you cannot become the best version of yourself apart from Christ. And this is right. where guys get confused. You can be a great man. You can be a yeah. good man. In fact, I know guys in the church that are horrible men. I know guys outside the church that are good men. But right. to become your best version of a man, yeah. you need to be radically committed to Christ. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know, uh, I, I think, um, do I have a, a few minutes to share an illustration uh, about Go ahead. that? Probably nothing, no, no illustration, probably best deals with what I feel in my heart more so than than this one. I, I was asked many years ago to speak at an all-African-American church in San Diego, California. B Bishop George McKinney, uh, he's, a, he's a, a really neat guy. He's in his 80s, I think, now, but I think he may be still the pastor of this church. It's a Church of God church, huge church. I'm the only white guy there. Well, one little row of white guys that came there in the back, that knew me and that was it. <laughs> but I'm the only white guy there. And, and in that culture, you sit up on the platform. The bishop is up there, and the elders, and the choir, and they stay up there. So it's a, it's a different kind of a unique culture. It's a three and a half hour service, by the way. Oh my goodness! So, so for all your listeners that that whine after an hour, I, I say get a life, and then and then after three and a half hours, they don't even go home. They go back out in the courtyard, enjoy a meal together, come back in and fellowship some more. It's the closest thing I've ever found to real, genuine family in my whole experience in the church. It was wow. amazing. And even though it was a three and a half hour service, even though I'm the main speaker, I was the third speaker. Oh so gosh! My, my subject was, uh, the other speakers were short, but my main message that the bishop invited me for was titled, Getting to Know Your Best Friend. And it had to do with Jesus, getting to know Jesus. So um, people who know me realize that sometimes I engage my mouth before my brain. <laughs> and uh, you, you probably don't have that problem, but I, no, came down not off, at all. I, I came down off the platform and here's the first words out of my mouth. I looked straight out into the audience and into the cameras, and I said, you know what? I am sick and tired of racial reconciliation. And I mean, all you saw was the whites of their eyes, man. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you, I mean, you could hear a 
pin drop, and I could hear him murmuring, Ethel, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. Well, maybe we ought to give him a chance. You know, the bishop invited him, you know? And so I'm thinking, what am I, I hope I know what I'm doing, right? But Jim, here's what I said. You remember in the early 90s, when Promise Keepers came on the scene, their whole motto was, break down the walls. Remember that? Okay, the, 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 everything was about racial reconciliation, so my question was, oh, I thought that came later. I thought that's what kind of really hurt them. Well, it did in the later 90s. Yeah. But but they were they were always about the from the very beginning they would use that phrase we need to break down the walls, but it became, okay. it gained more prominence later uh for a lot of different reasons which we won't go into. But anyway, it's in Coach Mack's so, book. It's in his yeah. book. Yeah. So anyway, I I what I did was I said, "Listen, we are we have more laws on the books in the United States of America today to legislate racial reconciliation than have ever been on the books in any country in the history of the world. And now, don't hear me say we shouldn't have laws. I'm not saying that. But uh, there are only two ways to govern man, God's way and man's way. God's way is an inside-out process. The heart of man is transformed, so basic laws governing human behavior work. When you take God out of man, it's no longer inside out. What is it? It's outside in. You need more laws and social constraints. That's why our prisons are full. Yeah. So is law working? But again, when you try to legislate social justice in the absence of righteousness, all you breed is bitterness, contempt, and hate. It has to come from within. Is law working? The answer is no. And finally, they agreed. So then I switched and said, we're talking about it more than we ever have. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about it, but what about talking about it? Is that working? Well, the answer is uh, not really. We, we need to do more. I say, well, well, now, so what does that suggest to you? It suggests one of two things to me. Nothing is working. So why not just forget it? Is that an option to just forget about it? And people say no. And I say, yes, it is an option. And the people who believe it's an option are called bigots. But if you're a follower of Christ and you believe what the Bible says, is it an option? No. Why? Because the Bible says we should be reconciled. So the Bible and, the, and God would never call us to do something that can't be done. So what I'm doing is I'm leading them along and I've got them now to this place. And here's what I said. This suggests to me that it can be done and we haven't figured it out. Hmm. So then, so then here's what I said to them. Would you like me? I have figured it out. Would you like to hear the answer to racial reconciliation? Now, can you imagine what this audience is thinking to themselves? Here's this white dude. Well, actually I'm Italian. So <laughs> yeah, he's going to tell us the secret to racial reconciliation. And I said, yes, I am. Do you want to hear it? And they said, yes. So then here's what I did, Jim. And this really illustrates my heart. I had them all bow their heads, and I said, "I want with your heads bowed, I want you to imagine in your mind, and your, your listeners can do this right now. Just close your eyes and imagine in your mind anybody that you know that, now listen, is radically in love with Jesus. When you think of this person, you think, wow, that, that's the kind of person that's like a role model. That's the kind of person that's got Jesus' blood pumping in their veins. That's the kind of person I want to emulate. And with that person fixed in your mind, I said, I want you to raise your hand really high if you can think of one person like that that has a racist bone in their body. And Jim, no matter where I've shared this illustration, I've never had a hand go up. So then I had him look up at me and, and I said, what, what does that suggest to you? 
what does that suggest to you? Who do we need to be reconciled with? And they finally say, Jesus. I, I say, say it again, Jesus. Say it again, Jesus. Why? And I go right down to the audience and I start touching people, just touching them, looking in their eyes. And I say, because there is no way I can love you or you or you. I don't care who you are, what color you are, where you've been or what you've done. There's no way I can love you in my flesh the way my Lord and Savior Jesus calls me to love you. But now get this. But when Jesus, when I am so reconciled with Jesus that he allows me to see you through his eyes, there is no way you are not the most precious human being on planet Earth. Well, and you so know I say, well, wait, wait, let me finish. So I say, here's what we're doing it wrong. You get your eyes off of me. I get my eyes off of you. You and I focus on Jesus. What, Jim, what are the two greatest commandments? Love God, love, love the Lord. They are in that order for a reason. You cannot do the latter without the former. And this is where we're making the big mistake when it comes to discipling, especially men. Men need to have the kind of relationship with Jesus that they first see themselves through his eyes and that they are uniquely then enabled to see others in the same way. That's the only way we're going to gain traction and, and advance God's kingdom on planet Earth. Yeah, and that's really good. And that that transcends race. It transcends age. Everything. It transcends yes. uh, this whole concept of gender, confusion, same-sex attraction. It transcends political stance, and it Everything. transcends demographics. So that's really good, man. Hey, Vince, we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsors. We're going to come right back at you. The Man Card Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world. The war to change your world is epic. Every battle counts. Every man in the arena matters. So get in the game by joining our closed Facebook forum for men called The Men in the Arena. There you will lock arms with men from all around the world. This is a great page, guys. Hey, if you want to learn more about becoming the best version of you, go to themancardpodcast.com, grab a copy of The Field Guide, my bathroom book for men, with 365 daily readings about what a man is and does using famous quotes and epic stories. I wrote this book for men who don't read books. Guys, you're going to love this book. Pick up a copy today following this episode. Thank you again for jumping into the arena with us and championing the greatest battle of our time, the fight to change your world. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Okay, Vince. So one of the things when we're talking about this is, you know, I think that when a, a, a person is in this place where they are living by these commandments, that's really when they're fully engaged in life. They're fully in life with life. And, and a quote that really transformed my life was a written by a guy named St. Irenaeus around 185 A.D., uh, he said this. He said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Now, how does that phrase couple with this concept of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Well, I, I don't think loving God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength uh, simply, simply, look, Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote the entire book of Ecclesiastes whining. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have to tell people it's too bad I wasn't around in Solomon's day. I could have probably taught him how to be a better whiner. I, I consider myself sometimes a professional whiner, you know, <laughs> but but he, he spends the entire book whining. 
and he and, and chasing after wind. I mean, if you count the number of times he says all this stuff, it's unbelievable. But he gets to the end of the book. You can look this up. The very last verse in the book, he says, I'm paraphrasing now. Now that I've done all this whining, yeah. <laughs> now, that now I've talked about all this futility, here's what it all boils down to. Do you remember what he says? Two things. Here's what he says. This is, by the way, this is the wisest man in all of history. Yep. Italian, Italians would call him a wise guy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He says, here it is. Fear God and obey his commands. He goes on to say this. This is the whole duty of man. It is one of the most profound statements in the entire Bible written by the wisest person that we know. In the context of this, what he's saying here, fear God. We understand what obey his commands mean. What most people don't understand is what he means by fear God. Fear God doesn't mean cower in a corner and be afraid of God. Fear in this context has to do with being in awe of God, revering God, getting a chance to really get to know God, those kinds of ideas. So unless we are being able to, unless we are able to do those things, Jim, you are never, listen to me, going to be fully alive. Yeah. You're going to be partially alive. You're going to be alive on your own energy. You're going to, look, Oswald Chambers is one of my favorite. And one of my favorite quotes by Oswald Chambers is this. There are two quotes that relate to this, fear and obey. The first one is on the idea of fearing God and being an off God is God will not do any more through you than you first allow him to do in you. Okay. The second one has to do with obedience and obeying his commands. God will not reveal more truth about himself until you've obeyed what you already know. So here, there it is, guys. You want to live up to this? All you got to do is make sure you understand the importance of getting close to God, revering God, being in awe of God. And the reason why you're get, not getting any more truth in your life is because you haven't obeyed what you already know. Stop looking at the porn, and maybe he'll reveal something else to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it really is not rocket science. It's well, that simple. Yeah, and he talks about well, the, the, my favorite Oswald Chambers quote is that we should not be working for God, but we should be working with God. And I think that is really good. Now, you talked about fearing God. Now, I, I really connect with that phrase. I, I like what that phrase says to me, being in awe of God, being in reverence towards God. But now, when you when you work with men, and talking specifically for men here, what do you think men fear? Do they have a, a greater fear, a, the, a, the, a greatest fear? And if so, what have you noticed that that fear is? Well, unfortunately, today, I find that uh, many men are, are simply afraid of being found out. Hmm. Interesting. They're, 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 the men, w w most of us, uh, Jim, are posers. Most of us put on the facade. We know who we really are inside. You know, uh, someone once said that difficulties and trials in life do not uh, make a man. They reveal him. Yes. And I, and I remember years ago when I went through a real struggle with Cindy, almost losing my wife, that and I was so afraid and it was just such a trial that all of a sudden start, things started coming out of me and thoughts started coming out of me that I – have you ever had thoughts or said things and you said to yourself, wow, where did that come from? Yeah. It even it even surprises you. It's like you didn't really know they were in there. And I think most men do know that in intuitively there's stuff inside of them 
And I don't know, it doesn't, it could be guilt born out of a porn habit or alcohol or drugs or, or something they did, lying, cheating, stealing, or maybe they're not authentic, they're hypocrites in terms of where they are in the workplace. Uh, it could be any number of things, but most men live in that, that little bubble where they fear being found out. For most of my early adult life as a married man, I, I was afraid my wife was going to find me out and find out that I'm not everything that I pretended to be, you know, before we got married. So I find that a lot of men live with those kinds of concerns, uh, and it, it's, it's difficult. And the only one that can relieve them of that, the only one that can help them get beyond that is their Lord, is to, is to crawl up in God's lap and let him minister to them. Uh, you know, he's not going to judge them. He's going to love them. But he's going to also ask, call them up to another level. So how does how does fear, you know, uh, we had John Eldridge on our podcast, and he said that men ask the question, do I have what it takes? In other words, there's a fear of men that they don't have what it takes. So how does fear of being found out relate to a fear of failure for men? Or do those relate at all? Well, I'm not sure they relate. I mean, the fear of failure uh, goes all the way back to the garden, as we talked about. Uh, you and I talked about this. I don't remember whether it was earlier in the show or another yeah, occasion. Yeah. We, we talked about the, the, you know, the, the, the curse in the garden. There was a different fear placed upon a man than there was on the woman. And as a result, men and women have different fears and needs. A woman's greatest fear is abandonment. Her greatest need is for security. And that comes directly from the uh, verse in Genesis where God uh, places a curse that says you're going to desire your husband and your husband would rule over you. Well, it doesn't mean lord it over, by the way. It means be, become a place of safety and security. So for a woman, her greatest need is to have that security. Yeah. And her greatest fear is abandonment. Most men don't understand that abandonment doesn't mean getting in the car and driving away, although that simply that, that qualifies. Uh, abandonment could be something as simple as reading uh, the you're you're looking at your iPhone while you're while you're speaking with her yeah that to a woman okay but for a man it's very different that you're gonna the, the ground is going to be cursed because of you you're going to have to labor and toil to produce fruit and uh, so the idea here is that work by the way was pre-fall uh, work didn't happen yeah. as a result a result of sin but what what God was saying is okay you're going to still work but it's not going to be by the sweat of your brow buddy you're going to have to work hard to produce. So our desire as men is we want to produce something. We want to be able to look back and say, wow, look at what we've accomplished. Yeah. That's why That's why we have rapes and things. That, it's a conquer mentality. Okay, we desire, but, but that's perverting the idea. But, but what happens in a man is I need to be able to produce them. I need significance. Okay, and so his greatest need of significance and his greatest fear is failure. We don't want to fail. But what happens when a man feels like a failure, which so often is the case, is we tend to withdraw. We tend to get quiet. We tend to hide out. We'll go to the drugs. We'll go to the we're victims. We'll go to the to the pornography. We'll go to those kinds of things that will give us, albeit temporary relief. Uh, but it's it's the law of diminishing return because in and of themselves they can only temporarily uh, satisfy and what happens is we get into a death spiral mm -hmm. of yeah. going deeper and deeper and deeper and it's born out of not being fulfilled okay so we try to fill ourselves up with fulfillment in all the wrong ways conquering uh, you know maybe having an affair or maybe putting too much emphasis in my workplace or uh, being uh, uh, how, how people might think about me, 
you know, and, and, and that's where we get into trouble. You know, I have this uh, bracelet that I wear on my arm. And because you and I are connected by video, you can kind of see it here. You remember the uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh-huh, yep. This, this one is W-I-M-M. And I'll tell you what that means in a minute. But it's taken from Proverbs 16.2. Proverbs 16.2 says, A man plans his ways, but the Lord understands the motives of the heart. Okay, and there's where the disconnect is. I have my ways. I plan my ways. But the Lord understands my motives and whether I'm doing yeah. them self-serving purposes. or Larry Crabb says in his book, The Marriage Builder, he says, in all uh, communication, in all life's interactions, you're doing one of two things and one of two things only. This is important. Now, listen carefully. You're only doing one of these two things all the time. You and I are doing it right now. Everything we do or say... We are either ministering or we are manipulating. That's it. And I thought when I first read that, Jim, I said, oh, come on. It can't be that simple, right? So Larry, Larry goes on to say, imagine the guy after dinner walks up to his wife and slips his arm around her waist and says, honey, you look absolutely beautiful tonight. He would say, either that man <laughs> is simply trying to bless that one. You were laughing because you know what the well, He wants is. to get a little loving. <laughs> Exactly. And so I so this simply says it's on my arm. It says, what is my motive? Ah, if 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 you if we would ask ourselves that question more often, we get in a lot less trouble. And it has to do with really uh, I was with Coach Mack recently and he says uh, he's been encouraging guys uh, every morning. A man needs to get up and be searched, fed and led. He needs to be searched by the Holy Spirit to see if there's anything in there that's not right, fed by the Word of God, and then only in that way will he be led by the Holy Spirit. And, and I've been saying the same kind of things maybe in a little different way. Yeah. But i, I got to know all the time, what is in my heart? And is it? And am I spending enough time with God to make sure that my motives are pure and that those things are right? But again, Jim, it all gets back to this relationship between me and him. Yeah. And I and I had this happen to me about three years ago, four years ago. Well, no, it's close to five years ago now. I was with, I had my men's group in Colorado Springs praying for me, and I was going through a time where I was really seeking God's perspective. And uh, I remember one of the few times I really know that I heard God speaking to me. And I know when God speaks to me because it's something my mind would never have thought of, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've never heard an audible voice, but you know what I mean. Yes. I think most listeners would know what I mean. So I, I, was, get, I was looking for God's perspective, and, and God said, as clearly as I've ever heard his voice, Vince, you'll never have uh, a greater understanding of my perspective until you first experience a greater awareness of my presence. Mm, wow. And, and that forced, that caused me to move on to what I really felt God was calling me to do. And here's the next thing he said to me is that Vince, and by the way, I think he could say this to me, to you, Jim, to a lot of pastors and leaders. Absolutely. He, could say it, he, he would say this, uh, I have given you a platform from which to share the life and love of my son, Jesus, to other people. Yeah. Now, let me pause here and say the platform has nothing to do with whether you're in front of 20,000 people in a stadium or whether you're in front of two people in your living room. We all have a platform. Okay, so don't 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 
disassociate yourself from this word. We all have a place where God's calling us to communicate yeah. the life of his son. And here's what he said to me. You, sir, are not taking that responsibility seriously enough. Wow. Now, only you can, can answer the question is, could he say that to you? Yeah. Here's what he said. You're not taking it seriously enough, Vince. Well, Lord, what do you mean? You cannot communicate my heart to others unless you know my heart. Oh. And, you, and you, sir, are not spending enough time with me to really know my heart. Wow, what? Well, listen, one of the greatest struggles today in pastoral leadership is this idea that my sermon prep becomes my time with God. I see that um, all the time. It's it's a well, bad it's, plan. It's a, it's, a, it's a lie. It is. You're okay? absolutely right. And so, so I went from one hour a day to three. I get up at five or six every day, and I spend two to three hours, sometimes more, with God. Yeah. Every yeah. single day. It's transforming my life. Yeah. And, and, and so I feel as though I feel so much more free and so much more alive that whether I'm doing an interview like this or whether I'm just talking to people on the street, wherever I go, that I'm so much more confident that I can reflect his life and his love because I'm hanging out with him, man. It's not that difficult. Well, and this goes back to what you said earlier. Before God does something through us, he, he to wants do to us. do something in us. And then I want to go yeah. back to something you said earlier. Uh, you said that Crab had taught that we have motivations of either one, ministering, or, or two, manipulating. manipulating. And then before that, you talked about this death spiral that men get into. Yeah, but we anesthetize how, So here's my alcohol. here's my question. We have a lot of men right now that are in the bubble, and that bubble has caused them to isolate. So they're focused on their friends or their family, their work, but they're not. They're isolating themselves from key relationships, and they've got into this secret life, and it's spiraling them. How do those guys, on a practical level, get out of that spiral before they crash and burn? Yeah, there's only one way, and it has to do with deliberately. Spending time with God, deliberately determining that I am going to concentrate on spending time every day, reading the word, praying and praising God every single day. By the way, that's a big part of our book is help, helping men understand how to how to really do that and and how, how to really, you know, someone once said, told me about some of this stuff years ago. And, and I would say, you know, I, I read the word, but I get all through reading it. And if somebody would have asked me, what did I just read? I'm not sure I could really tell him. Yeah. And he laughed. He laughed and he said, you know, that's a very common thing. But you know what? Read it anyway. Garbage in, garbage out. Yep. How many, well, you know, you, you look at porn, you don't have any problem with that, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 try, and trust me, you know, you're not going to forget that. Yeah. It's garbage in. It's in there. Yep. Okay. So you, what are you putting in to yourself? You want to get out of that? then you deliberately determine to put the kind of things into you that are going to help you do that. And what the devil, look, every, every day I use this illustration with guys that we, uh, I, our life is like a choice chamber. And I use a water filter to kind of illustrate this point. Imagine a little white water filter. Okay. And uh, the job of a good filter is that to purify out the impurities of the substance working through it. So that the purest and most powerful form of that substance is what comes out the other end. Think of your life as a choice chamber. That's your filter. And every day there are four flows going through your life, the world, the flesh, the devil, and the Lord. They're all competing and going through your choice chamber. 
Depending upon the filtering or the choices that I make every day ultimately determines the power that flows out the other end of that filter. So every day the world is saying, you need to dress like this, look like this, do these things. Every day your own flesh says, I've got to, I've got to get to that porn site. I've got to drink that. I've got to do those drugs. I've got to do, I've got to meet that woman. Uh, the, the, the devil is right there. I sometimes think we give him too much uh, credit yeah, for some of yeah. these things, but he's right there trying to motivate us to do that. And then of course there's the Lord. And I like to say on Sunday, oh, yeah, the, there's a whole bunch of God stuff coming through you. You even sound different on Sunday mornings. But what's happening on, on Monday? Yeah, absolutely. Okay? And, and so th these are things that guys have to really deal with. And uh, the, the Apollo moonshot was off course 95% of the time. The only way the Apollo moonshot was able to hit its target is that along the way, Mission Control would fire off these little things called retro rockets. Yeah. You're in my life are off course 95% of the time. The only way we're going to reach our target is to fire off what I call the retro rockets for life, and that's called obedience. Yeah. Will I resist over here? Will I obey over here? That's the only way we're going to hit our now, target. Now, uh, you had, so I'm we got about, Three minutes left here, but I want to ask this question because I think it's really important. As this man is engaging with God to get himself out of this, uh, what you called it, a death spiral, how important in that process is confession and fellowship with other guys in your, in your a, experience? Okay, I uh, in my experience, uh, we haven't talked about our new curriculum. Many people are saying it's the best in the country right now. I really appreciate it if you guys would take a look at it. We've learned in 20 years of beta testing that the the uh, and, and that I've come up with this quote. I have a lot of quotes, but honestly, most of my quotes suck. In fact, I got to come up with a worse word than suck. They're really bad. But this one is the one I'm most proud of. And here it is. It takes a relational environment in order for truth to become transformational. Oh, that's good. Let me repeat that. It requires, really, a relational environment in order for truth to become transformational. The result of that is that our teachings now are 12 minutes long, max. That's it. In fact, they've been showing these videos as TV programs on the NRB network for the last two years by taking two 12-minute segments, running them together, and putting intros and outros around them. Uh -huh. But we're, what we're, we're doing is we're giving them a nugget, and we're asking them to move from life implication to life application in the context of a healthy relational environment. Without that, it will be almost impossible for a man to do it on his own. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it's going to be directly related to how much time am I willing to commit to God uh, as the author and finisher of my life and the person who's who I'm going to go to. And then as I live my life out, I'm being vulnerable, teachable, available to other brothers that are going to help me, pray for me, and keep me on target. Those are the two things, two most important things that a man can do. You can't do one without the other. They both must be done. So just throwing a guy into a men's group, which is a mistake we made in the early movement, isn't going to work. They've got to have it both. Yeah, I love that. That's really good. I love a relational environment in order for truth to be transformational. Hey, uh, man, we're out of time. Uh, already events so uh, thank you so much for coming on our podcast and uh, man we're just excited to have you on here so guys you've been listening to this episode of the man card podcast helping us transform the lives of men and those they love is as easy as one two three first guys listen enlist 
Download our free app. It's the best thing going out there for men. Check it out. It's got the Bible app, life-changing links, messages, blogs, these podcast episodes. Go and get a part of our Men in the Arena group on Facebook. It is a free resource for you. And, of course, get involved and subscribe and share this podcast. Number two, invest. Go to our gear page and check out our resources for you, the Man Card Book, the Field Guide, our bathroom book for men, the Man Card Series for you and your guys in a, in a coffee shop. You're going to love this series, guys. And number three, change your world. Get engaged in your community. Get engaged in your church. Ask us about launching a real-time team or a virtual international team. We are a nonprofit organization. We are building an army. So, guys, join us in building that army and become the best version of yourself and change your world because when a man gets it, Everyone wins. Until next time, guys, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join thousands of men from around the world on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of our popular field guide, A Bathroom Book for Men. Jim wrote this book for men who don't read books. It's a daily study of manly words explained with great stories. You will find enough entries to read one a day for an entire year. That's right, 365 daily readings on what a man is and does. Get your own copy at mancardpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.